I don't think there's a doctor here who can sign, you know. Um, of course, we always took an interpreter, or Bob always took an interpreter with him. Uh, but that means you, you have to plan for it. And if something comes up for you, uh, you're, you're uh, you know, you can't get an interpreter at, in, at an instant, you know. If your doctor can't understand you, your, your counselor can't understand you, and you can't understand them, what is the point? Welcome to Some Stutter Law, Newfoundland and Labrador's first podcast about living with communication disorders. It is a production of the Communication Collaborative. My name is Greg O'Grady. I am a person who stutters and your host. Some Stutter Law aims to rebuild confidence and hope for people who live with communication differences by dismantling myths, stigmas, stereotypes, and barriers. For more information about the Communication Collaborative or this podcast, you can find us at somestutterlaw.ca. If you only get one thing from this podcast, we hope it's this. It's okay to stutter, and it's okay to communicate differently. It's not how we communicate that's important, it's a message that's important. Today, Some Stutter Law welcomes Susan Rockwood Kalakar. Susan joins us today to help create awareness, education, and understanding and acceptance about the deaf, deaf community, their, their communication challenges, Associated, associated with being deaf, and to honor the memory of her brother Robert, now deceased, by sharing of his lived experiences as a deaf individual. Susan, oh, 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 our condolences on the loss of your brother. Susan is a senior citizen who worked in public affairs, marketing, and communications for 30 years. Susan was born and raised here in Newfoundland, but spent most of her working life in Saskatchewan. Susan and her husband moved to Sunnyside in 2008. She served as a town councillor there for eight years. They moved to St. John's area in 2017. Robert Rockwood, Susan's brother. Susan had always called her brother Bob but many knew him as Robert. He was born in Woody Point, Bombay, in 1941, while his father was serving with the Newfoundland Ranger Force. In 1943, while in Maine, Labrador, Bob and his younger brother Dave came down with whooping cough, which turned to meningitis. As a result, Dave died and Bob lost his hearing. At this time, there was not much in the way of medical care in Maine, so Bob was transferred to the American Hospital in Goose Bay. Bob stayed there for about three months, but they were unable to restore his hearing. Then the quest for Bob's education began. There was no school for the deaf in Newfoundland at this time. Deaf children were sometimes sent to Montreal, where they were about age 10 and sometimes were not sent to school at all. 
As it happened, the family had relatives in North Carolina, so Bob's parents moved there. Bob went to school in West Virginia and later to in Philadelphia. Their parents were not happy with Bob's progress, so when when he was age 10, they decided to move back to Newfoundland and take their chances with the public school system. Bob then started in Newfoundland in grade four and graduated <coughs> at 17. He then went to Gallaudet College, now University in Washington, D.C. At, at the time, it was the only deaf university in the world. Bob graduated with a degree in commerce and then went back to Statistics Canada in Ottawa. After retirement, he returned to Newfoundland. Upon returning to Newfoundland, Susan and Bob got to know each other again. During this period, Susan became more familiar with the daily challenges faced by deaf people. It was a shock to realize how little had really changed. But before we begin, to help our listeners who are unfamiliar with this area, I did some initial research in this area. The deaf community is not a single society with one purpose which one can sign up for. It is a diverse meeting of individuals who come together for many purposes, but who share some basics of experience, communication, and commitment. The communication will be in sign. The commitment will be to support other deaf people and to have a place to meet. There has been discussion in the past on the extent of deaf community. It has become clear that it is not helpful to try to define the deaf community in terms of pathology. The medical educational definitions of loss and lack of abilities do not adequately describe the nature of the community. The most effective definition provided is the deaf community compromises, uh, the deaf community compri uh, comprises those and hard of hearing individuals who share a common language, common experiences and values, and a common way of interacting with other, with each other and with hearing people. The most basic factor, factor determining who is a member of the deaf community seems to be what is called attitudinal deafness. This occurs when a person identifies him herself as a member of the deaf community and other members accept that person as part of the community. Deaf, hard of hearing, or deafened are the most acceptable terminology. The inappropriate terms are hearing impaired, impaired deaf and mute, deaf and dumb, and hearing handicapped because many people find them offensive. So well, uh, welcome Susan to Some Stutter Law. It, 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 it is great to, to ha have, have you with us this morning. Uh, Su uh, Susan, can you share, you know, share, you know, 
share, you know, share a little about Bob to our listeners. What was Bob like as a human being? Okay. What was his qualities? Okay. Uh, well, first of all, thank you for having me. Um, um, Bob grew up here and he uh, went to school here and, uh, uh, you know, he did very well, especially uh, like in terms of the, the times and the fact that it was, uh, you know, not really very usual for deaf people. And in fact, for Newfoundlanders as a whole to even graduate from high school at the time, it was a lot of people who didn't get that far. So he, he did very well and he was a really uh, intelligent fella. And uh, um, he was involved in the deaf community here and again in Labrador. And uh, even though he went to school for the deaf, uh, I'm sorry, and even though he went to public school, um, he did identify as deaf. He was involved with the deaf community and, um, uh, you know, he signed, but, but he, he spoke as well. But uh, uh, sign language was his preferred method of communication. And uh, when he was in Ottawa, he had a lot of involvement with the deaf community there. Um, I wonder if I can share a, a little story that uh, I'd like to start with, if you don't mind. Um, oh, of course, definitely. Okay, it's, uh, I don't know if uh, your listeners have heard of the, well, Helen Keller, who was a deaf, blind woman. And uh, I guess she would have been born maybe around 1900. And um, uh, she was... In her home, she was really fairly almost feral. I mean, she had no no training, um, didn't, well, just, it was hard to get her to do things. And and uh, uh, so the family was well well enough off to hire a woman uh, named Annie Sullivan to, to work with Helen. So she became Helen's uh, teacher and good friend throughout her life and helped Helen, Helen along the way. And Helen ended up um, getting several degrees and doing very well in life. Um, one time she was asked if she had a choice between her hearing or her sight, which she would choose. And her answer was hearing. And the reason she gave was that um, sight connects you to things and hearing connects you to people. So that really rang a chord with me. I only read that a few years ago. And it rang a chord because throughout my childhood and, and adult life too, I guess, but not so much when I was older, um, when people knew my brother was deaf, um, they often reacted and said, um, oh, well, at least he's not blind. <laughs> as though one chooses or as though one is worse than the other. To me, they're both are equally bad, but I think when people say that, they are missing the the um, the, the deafness, the, the problem with deafness, which is primarily communication. It's not about whether you hear the birds sing. It's not whether, whether you hear the cars going by on the street. It's about whether you can talk to your mom, talk to your dad, talk to uh, the people you work with and, and be able to understand what is going on in your world that's important to you. Um, 
I guess that's all I'm going to say about that, Greg. Could you, you can go and ask me a question uh, now? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, thank you for sharing that story, Susan. Appreciate that. Susan, in, 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 in your introduction, you mentioned that about, upon Bob's retirement and return to Newfoundland, you both got to know each other again, and during this period, you became more familiar with the daily challenges faced by deaf people. Can you elaborate more about this for our listeners? Yeah, well, I um, accompanied Bob to, um, you know, various, uh, well, appointments, but but uh, although it, with anything that was uh, medical and everything, that uh, I always took a tra an interpreter. It uh, <clears throat> It's important not to have uh, family members interpreting for deaf people in uh, an environment like uh, with a doctor, with a lawyer, any of that sort of stuff. But I did, of course, interpret if I had to go to the uh, insurance company or, or if, um, uh, you know, his renewing his driver's license or something fairly straightforward, then I did interpret. But um, <clears throat> And it was important for me to be there because you'd be surprised how often oh, they call out somebody's name, for example. Now, Bob doesn't hear that. And uh, uh, so it, it really came as a bit of a shock to me that it was not really that much better than, than it was, you know, 50 years ago when people were really had very little awareness of the, of the deaf community. Um, that those are the kinds of things that uh, you know he encountered on a daily basis, and I remember thinking, my gosh, how do you even move to a new place? Because anybody who's moved knows that you you have a lot of challenges, like oh, getting your TV connected, and you know, there's a lot of stuff that you have to interact with hearing people, and the hearing world uh, does not really accommodate deaf people very well. There, there's a very, um, <clears throat> deaf people are often said to be invisible. I would add that they're also inaudible a lot of the time. Um, you know, they, uh, if they're dealing with somebody like a plumber or some sort of contractor, uh, they won't have, won't likely have an interpreter unless there's a friend or, or a family member who will be there for them. Um, and often these people think that a deaf person should be able to lip read. Well, my brother could lip read, but that only accounts for about 20% of what is said. It doesn't account for 100%. Any, not anywhere near it. And, and I would add that, that uh, from the other point of view, uh, the person who is talking to the deaf person, they probably only understand 20% of what the deaf person is saying. They may think they understand, but they don't. Hmm. Okay. I have, I have some. Okay. Go ahead. Oh, no, no, Susan. Okay. You want me to go on? Because I do have a few. Sure, sure. <laughs> a few oh, oh, sure, definitely. I, definitely. Have, yeah. I have listed a few examples of things. Um, oh, of course, definitely. Continue. Mm -hmm. Pardon me? No. Yeah. Um, continue, continue. Yeah. <clears throat> um, oh, okay. One, um, now the, the, there are some big examples, and then there's a couple of everyday examples. The big example I'm going to use is that I, I got involved in 
uh, promoting the 911 uh, emergency number uh, for deaf people uh, because they were not able to, to access that through cell phones. That seemed to be a really difficult problem for uh, our emergency me measures people. Um, and uh, they could uh, access it through their telewriters, their um, uh, landlines. But by this time, people like my brother had realized, well, you know, why do I need a landline? I can't hear the phone ring. I can't talk on it. So a cell phone allows me to text and I can take it wherever I go. So that seemed logical to him. But it really took several years for the emergency people to uh, be able to, to allow um, cell phone communication to, to dial a 911 number. Uh, and I, I used to uh, get up at the town uh, meetings, the municipalities meetings, and talk about how we seem to be able to um, uh, figure out how to help ducks out of ditches. <laughs> You know, through our cell phones, like there's all kinds of apps for everything. But this was an important app that needed to be done. Um, like I said, it, they, they did eventually solve it, but it really was kind of a shock that it took so long. Um, okay, uh, now on a more daily kind of basis, here's an example. When Bob was in St. John's for about a year, he moved and he neglected to tell the uh, insur his car insurance company that he was moving. And uh, he had, however, told them that uh, they could contact him by his cell phone and uh, essentially text. <clears throat> well, they didn't. They, they, when he moved, he, he didn't give them a forwarding address. So it's, you know, that's on him too. But um, they tried to phone him. And of course, he didn't hear any phones ring. They didn't text him. Um, they uh, uh, sent him a, a letter, but now he'd moved, so it didn't arrive at his his address. So it wasn't until um, he realized he was no longer making payments and everything that he went to see them and um, discovered that his insurance had in fact been cut off. So that was that was an example. Another example relating to cars, I guess, is that he wanted to join CAA. And I went with him to that uh, meeting too. And uh, uh, he asked if it was okay to use a cell phone to contact CAA and they assured him it was. And then they added that, but they'd have to call him back to verify. So now again, you're back at, okay, so mm. <laughs> they're phoning you, but you can't hear the phone ring. You know, so Bob had entered this world uh, of technology, but the hearing people hadn't understood how they can use it to the advantage of uh, customers who might, might be deaf and probably lots of other people as well. Okay. Okay. Susan, you... Uh, uh... You you also mentioned in your introduction that you were shocked to realize how little really has changed. Would you elaborate on this? Well, the you know I'm not sure I'm an expert. I mean, I'm not certainly not an expert on on what's happening with deaf people. And I have, I would say, in the last ten years, I have seen some some improvements. But um, 
uh, issues like education, you know, um, deaf, there's no deaf school here now. Kids are mainstreamed, okay? Now that probably sounds really great and it probably is good for some children, but I'm pretty sure it's not gonna be good for all children. I, I heard a lot of uh, discussion in the deaf community and among interpreters um, who talked about them not getting very much one-on-one -on -one time with people uh, who could you know, help them. Um, and, and that the teachers were not really trained in deaf methods and certainly they won't be if the child is uh, moving from one class to the next, like, you know, as they grow up and everything. I've also heard that there are places outside of town where they're no longer going to school. So I, I throw that out because I don't know for sure, but that is what I've heard. And, uh, and I have also read, um, you know, about some of the problems of teaching deaf children when they went, you know, by people who are just ordinary teachers and do not have, I mean, they might have a, a class or two, but they're not, not really well-trained in this field. Um, now, I, again, I hope that things are changing, but I, I, I'm always afraid that when it comes right down to it, it, it becomes a matter of dollars, you know? And I'm pretty sure that a lot of people, a lot of people in power might think, well, you know, we can save money on this. And, uh, you know, mainstreaming is, it's talked about in terms of inclusion, okay? And, some deaf kids might be included, but I'm pretty sure that not all of them are. Some of them will probably be fairly isolated in their world, not having people to talk to in their own language, which is sign language. So uh, again, I don't want to go off on that too much because I really, um, I hope I'm not saying things that are, are uh, not, not uh, factual. I think that uh, I haven't seen, I did look for, um, some statistics on schools, but I just did not find anything. So um, now that's deafness or that's school and there's also employment. Employment rates, I'm sure, are still high. But again, I couldn't find any real, real employment rates. And uh, but from my reading and my discussions, I feel that uh, there's still a high rate. It used to be, I think when Bob was uh, younger, it was probably around 80 percent unemployed but I think it's better than that now but I would expect it to be still maybe 30 40 percent somewhere around there um, mm -hmm. and there's the um, underemployment as well people who um, get degrees um, and again an example could be that uh, you might have had some people who qualified to teach in the school for the deaf who were deaf now there will probably not be a place for them to work um, you know, so, um, so there's that, um, what else? Medical care is another area where, uh, from my reading, it's, um, they don't, deaf people often do not go to doctors, um, unless they really have to. So they're not as tuned in to the whole medical system of being there for checkups and, uh, maybe going when they should. Instead, they end up in emergency rooms more than than the average person. So I know those things are still still on the go. And uh, and I suppose what I when I said that I was shocked, I guess I 
I thought that people would have more awareness. Like, uh, you know, I've, I've felt so often, I feel like saying, what part of uh, deafness do you not understand? You know, like when, when, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, like when you realize, well, he can't hear a phone. Yes, he gave you his text, his phone number for texting. You should have written that down and underlined it a few times so that you would have a way of contacting him. He was a customer of yours, you know, but that doesn't happen very often. Um, so th- there's that. And then there's, um, I guess the the big issue for me has been the the issue of uh, personal care homes and long-term care homes. Um, Because that's, uh, you know, when Bob, uh, well, uh, in 2016, he had a stroke. And at that point, we started looking into uh, a home. um, And uh, he was approved, well, not just approved, they recommended that he be put in in a care home. And uh, he, um, he was on, it was the first come first serve basis. So you had no choice really. It was wherever a bed came up now within a certain mm-hmm. region. Uh, so he was put in, placed in Carboneer. Um, I was in Sunnyside at the time and there were times when I would have to uh, take him to St. John's to, to uh, an appointment. And I always came with him and I always arranged for, um, uh, for, for interpreters to be available as well. And, uh, so it would take me an hour and a half to go get him, an hour and a half to bring him to St. John's and then the same back again, which was not really necessary. You know, um, one of the things that they should have looked at, which I don't think they did was that, uh, uh, that there were no interpreters in Carboneer. Now the interpreters from St. John's would come out, but if you have an emergency, that takes a while. You're not going to get there very quickly. Mm-hmm. So it was a bit of a problem. Um, but what, the way our system works really is that anybody who wants to be in a particular location, they go with whatever they get first, and then they have to um, uh, apply to transfer to another place. So Bob applied and he transferred to Cambridge Estates here in St. John's in about six months. Cambridge was good. The, it happened that the, um, uh, the executive director had taken an interest in deafness and she was doing um, her third or fourth class in sign language. Um, she also arranged for uh, deaf uh, the deaf community to come in once a month for card games and socializing and that sort of thing, mm-hmm. use their boardroom. That was lovely, you know, and Bob, of course, was mm-hmm. part of that. Um, so that, that worked out fairly well, uh, but then he um, had another stroke and that left him where he needed 24-7 care. He could no longer eat and uh, his mobility was okay until the pandemic hit. But once the pandemic hit he got less mm-hmm. um opportunity to walk with me or with uh their recreation person and that sort of thing so so he lost that ability at that time so and and i found like there were some staff that were pretty good and and uh but you know some of them well, they're busy people i mean i i can't blame people for being too busy which i think they are <laughs> um you know, and 
but the other thing that I found really kind of annoying, I guess, is the way they they seem to um, switch staff around a lot. And I think this happens in hospitals too, or at least it did in mm-hmm. the hospital. But uh, so then, and somebody who kind of got to know him a little bit might not be back for another week, you know, or would be in another wing of the hospital. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not used to that. I'm, I'm too old for that kind of thing myself. Uh, what what yeah. we'd re- what the deaf community <laughs> is is a wing to be allocated for them somewhere in St. John's where there would be interpreting services available. Um, maybe there would be people on staff who would be able to sign. Maybe they would even hire some deaf people, and that's that's really would be the ideal. Mm-hmm. And it's what happens in many. Uh, communities. I know Halifax has has that situation. Um, Here, part of our problem, of course, is always that we don't have a very large number. You know, there may be, I don't know how many people would be in long-term care right now, a few, Um, but, you know, that will will increase as well, at least for a while, when the baby boomers are getting to that stage, so. You know, uh, Susan, this, uh, uh, you know, listening to you now, we're, we're t- t- talking about the quality of life mm-hmm. issues here yes. for the, the, the deaf community. When I, uh, you know, when I was doing my research, Susan, I, I, you know, I didn't come across any, you know, and in and 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 any information about the mental health supports of the deaf community, did did Bob talk about you know how you know how he felt about being deaf and what what do do you feel you know Bob's emotional state was overall. You know when you know when you know, when we're talking about mental health and well-being, not you know not only for Bob yeah, but yeah. for the you know the, the community as a whole. Well, my I mean I have done a fair bit of reading, um, you know, over the years, and definitely that's an area that uh, has been talked about, and that and similarly to the um, uh, medical in in general, uh, deaf people are not really. Um, well served. I mean, doctors, I don't think there's a doctor here who can sign, you know. Um, Of course, we always took an interpreter, or Bob always took an interpreter with him. Uh, But that means you you have to plan for it. And if something comes up for you, uh, you're, you're, um, you know, you can't get an interpreter at at an instant, you know. Um, but mental health is certainly the same issue that, that uh, I know Bob did see a counselor at one point in, when he was in Ottawa. I don't think he found it very useful. And I think, you know, certainly for mental health, communication has to be a very key issue. You know, if, if you can't communicate to your, if you, you know, if you can't, if he can't, if your doctor can't understand you, your your counselor can't understand you and you can't understand them what is the point 
you know. So I think you would find that uh, if you if you can get your hands on some statistics, I think you would find, uh, you know, not a not a huge. Uh, a large number, but you you know I don't know what it would be, but I do know it would be higher than the average um, uh, hearing person in terms of getting uh, you know not being able to get help when you need it. So that I, that I know. I think the figures that mm-hmm. come to my mind is something like ten or fifteen percent, but I don't you know I'm, I think again mm-hmm. uh, if somebody could really challenge me on that because I don't know the the reality of of uh, uh, you know, the number of people who are not being served. Mm. Similarly with... So, uh, did Bob... Uh, Go ahead. Sorry. Uh, did Bob you know, share, you know, share, you know, share, he, you know, share thoughts about, you know, about being deaf with, you know, with you, Susan? What, you know, what was his feelings about well, being Well, a deaf? lot of deaf people feel that it, it, it is their culture and that they're uh, they're okay with it, and I think that uh, Bob was in that category. That he didn't. He, I mean, we when he was young, my parents, um, you know, tried their best to to find any kind of help. Uh, like you know, uh, cochlear implants weren't available, but hearing aids were, and and uh, but he was never able to use them. He was uh, too too profoundly deaf and uh, they didn't help him much. All most he could hear, I think, was a very, the loudest sound, he might get a slight, slight uh, noise out of it in one ear. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, he, uh, he didn't, he didn't seem to be um, upset anymore, you know, but I, I guess I, I do know that he must have been not included like i mean there are there are a lot of things like that but those are not entirely mental health things but you know for example when he was at in uh, ottawa i don't know how he managed to be included in things that might have involved um, uh, meetings and that sort of thing and it's very rare for um, although i think he would take uh, interpreters with him if it was important but that's not on a daily basis. That's once in a while. Um, so he, he would have certainly, he talked about uh, mental health as an issue, but he talked about it more among the deaf people. He didn't talk about it with me, about himself. Um, I, I mean, I assume that he would not talk to me. I'm a, I was a sister, and that wasn't uh, something he would probably, you know, he was too private, probably, to do that. And, and uh, but it, you know, I'm, I'm sure it was an issue. I, I even uh, think there may have been issues relating to, like he spent two or three years at a boarding school when he was young. And uh, I, he had alluded to some incidents there, which is part of the reason my parents didn't, didn't uh, want him to go there, right? But um, uh, sort of like we've heard about residential schools. Well, again, the deaf community, the, their deaf children are very vulnerable to any sort of um, thing like that. And uh, he kind of uh, suggested to me that there was, that was going on there, but I never really uh, talked to him about himself in a personal way like that. Mm-hmm. You know, you, uh, you uh, 
mentioned, Susan, that you know that with the closure of the Newfoundland School for the Deaf, mm -hmm. the you know the the you know the NLAD and and you know members of the deaf community have have, have a number of concerns regarding ed, ed, education of children. Some you know some of these concerns relate to who you know who will be teaching preschool children sign language, who will be monitoring the, the progress of deaf children in inclusive education. This you know this you know this monitoring monitoring must be you know, must include a academic, social, a, 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 a extracurricular activities, as well as as a child satisfaction yes. placement. Yeah. Other, all the concerns is the quality of interpreters, qualities of teachers for the deaf, quality of student assistants, and the deaf, deaf role models. So, so really, at, you know, at, you know, at, 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 at education for the you know for children who are deaf is is a definite priority. Do you feel, Susan, that the, 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 that you know that you know that you know that you, you know that you, you know that there's you know that there's in any movement in 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 this area to provide more supports for for children who are deaf, or have things well, I don't think improved we, at all. I don't think they would ever go back to having schools for deaf again. Uh, you know, I think that uh, they see this as more uh, inclusion in society and uh, mainstreaming and that sort of thing. But I do think they're probably not um, providing the supports that the, that the children need. I mean, uh, I have to admit here, my father was uh, the one who set up the School for the Deaf in the first place. And um, he, he, his attitude was that, um, all deaf children are not alike. Nobody, you know, all hearing children are not alike. And uh, they use signing and oral methods at school here. And uh, dad would say, well, you know, a child just, you know, there was a, there was a movement to use only oral methods, which again, um, now is mainstream. Uh, so, because they believe that all deaf children should be able to lip read and speak, but Dad would have said, "Well, not all deaf children are alike, and a child should not miss out on their history lesson because they are uh, they have to lip, read lips and that sort of thing because not all of them can." Um, and I don't, I don't so, so think they'll ever go back yeah. to that. But I would hope that uh, there would be more, what um, best practices. I think in trying to um, use best practices that are being found in other locations. You know, like I think they still have a school for the deaf in Ontario. Um, Maybe there's a, uh, you know, good reason for that. Just because we, you know, they may have 50 children and we may only have five, but should those five be, uh, miss out on what the, uh, the other children are learning in school, you know? Um, so I, I think that uh, they're probably not uh, 
providing the level of support that they need. I know they weren't um, at one point, uh, you know, five to 10 years ago is when I was more involved in, in uh, this kind of discussion. Um, and at that time, the, the deaf community was quite worried about uh, what level of education that the kids were getting and uh, worried about them learning sign because they felt that it was important for them in terms of their future and being able to communicate with, with people who speak their language. Sign language has been designated as an official language, um, by, firstly by the UN, but it's also been is considered an official language in Canada. Um, and, uh, you know, that is to enable people who speak that language to be part of our community. You probably noticed in, in the pandemic, uh, a lot of the, um, uh, the, the premier's uh, press conferences always had somebody signing in the background. That never happened before. That's the first time I've mm -hmm. ever seen it here anyway. No, and uh, it's it's wonderful yeah. to see that. And I think that there should be more of that. I mean, perhaps there should be interpreters employed by government to, to be on hand, although, you know, that might be asking a lot. But, um, you know, we, we need more, a lot more of that. I mean, like, um, I know Bob went to some... Sometimes he went to a meeting that was an interesting topic for him, um, you know, public meeting, and uh, he did take interpreters with him. But if you have to pay for that, that becomes an expensive thing for a deaf person to do, right? But I don't know how much it costs. Mm -hmm. and, you see, yeah. But now the medical si yeah. system, they... This is... Go ahead. Sorry, you're frozen. No, you, you know, you know, that, the, 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 oh, no, 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 you know, this is, was one of my questions. Who, who actually pays for, you know, for the, you know, the, you know, the interpreters? Because, yeah. you know, you had, you know, you had mentioned that Bob had to, had to, to arrange for his own, uh, you know, well, I all interpreters, you know, you, you know, you, you know, you also had to, you know, you also had, had to arrange yeah. for it. Look, you know, or, are there any subsidies available? Well, I, I, to cover not that I'm costs? aware of. If if you're doing it as as a private person, like if you, uh, but I would think that like when he had interpreters in Ottawa, uh, probably the employer paid for it, and uh, certainly within here the medical uh, system was paying for the the interpreters. So I, you know, I think that's very common. I think that uh, a lot of the interpreting that is done is with professionals. And I'm sure legal people as well, you know, if you have to see a lawyer, I think that would be covered. But if you as, um, you know, if you're interested in, let's say, long-term care homes and you want to go to a meeting about it and it's uh, just a public meeting where they're asking the public to contribute, I don't think they, they uh, unless they choose to, to uh, have it available, I don't think the deaf person would it wouldn't be there unless the deaf person brings an interpreter but i think you can request it so i think in a lot of cases they they might be able to do that and uh, they just a lot of the time they probably just don't think of it you know i mean is it could be a crazy topic <laughs> you know it could be anything and and they wouldn't necessarily think oh there'll be a deaf person there you know mm. so uh, you know 
how did did you arrange for you know for you know, an 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 interpreter for Bob when he when he was in long term care? Did did you have to go to? I mean, did 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 you pay pay out of your own no, pocket? No, no, no. It was always like I would just phone up the interpreters and I would tell them what it was for, and I'm sure it would go on a bill okay. to the medical system. You know, it would be covered that way. So it was oh, okay. never never an issue for us. I see. What you're but it, like I said, it could be if you were, okay. I don't know, having a well insurance company. I didn't uh, didn't consider uh, bringing an interpreter to the insurance company, but the, Bob had me to go with him. Now, I mean, a lot of deaf people wouldn't, right? Mm. Or CAA. I mean, we went there to yeah. make an, an or, inquiry. Yeah. You know, you wouldn't take an interpreter to that. You're just trying to find out how how it works and whether it will be of use to you. Yeah. Um, you know, so. Okay. Mm. You know, uh, uh, Susan, for the uh, uh, the you know the you know the airing community. What is you know? What things do you feel that 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 you know that we need to know about the the deaf community? Well, you know, what would be be you know be some of the key areas that that, that we need to know? Well, I think that um, you know, for me, uh, I'm I'm really interested in seeing things improve in the in the care homes and everything. Um, but I think that, that I'd probably leave you with a few different thoughts. One is that the UN has, um, yeah. uh, what, what's it called? I can't remember. The UN, the UN has guidelines for uh, people with disabilities or for dealing with people with disabilities. And there are a number of things there that uh, perhaps, um, you know, authorities should be looking at to make sure that they're not under, you know, uh, that they are meeting the standards, uh, the, the standards of today. Example would be, I doubt very much that, that the um, care homes have those blinking lights, which is what a deaf person would have in their own house in case of fire, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, I imagine that's something that, I mean, I think that care homes probably just figure, well, the staff will get them up and going and everything like that but these are this is an emergency situation and they should really make sure that they have everything that they should have um, might also be the business of public meetings of having an interpreter uh, available and uh, maybe on a screen it depends on how big the meeting is um, but I think we need to give a lot more thought to uh, pr uh, providing the information to deaf people and maybe collecting information and trying to find out more about how things are going. Like I, I really have had trouble trying to find statistics about mental health, for example, and um, you know, talking about that. And I don't even know how you know if you're deaf and how do you know this is a serious problem? Most of us have trouble, mental trouble of some sort, <laughs> but um, uh, you know, it's a, it's a sort of thing, like I think a lot of things for deaf people probably go under the radar. 
you know, I remember a, a fellow down the street from me uh, who had a, a lawn that was just terrible because, and everybody was talking about it because he had, had too many weeds and everything like that. But I thought, well, you know, how does he know, A, that they're concerned about it, and B, does what to do about it, you know? So there's, a, and, and I think that, uh, you know, when it comes to the workplace, for example, you, you uh, a deaf person may not be as included as uh, at coffee clutches and things like that, partly because the, the, the interaction is more difficult. Um, I mentioned technology, and I really can't understand why it it isn't, it doesn't seem to be a lot better. I do think that it's, it's improving for the younger people. I think that older people probably don't have the technology skills that the younger people have. So I'm, I'm kind of uh, being optimistic that it's not quite the same for people who are say under 50 or under 40 today. Um, but, you know, there's lots of, uh, like, for example, a coffee clutch. Why couldn't you, uh, like, there are speech-to-text um, apps, and there are text-to-speech apps. So they should be able to work it out so, and through um, being able to use the technology to advantage. Um, let's see. And I think, basically, we need, really need a more assertive campaign about deafness and how a person can help with uh, with uh, people who have um you know who are deaf so and and i think that like i would i think i'm sure they must be doing something like the, i'm sure the fire departments and the police departments and all those people must have some form of training but i don't it may not be enough, mm -hmm. and and we need to maybe think more mm -hmm. uh, creatively about how we're, we're dealing with some of these issues. Mm -hmm. And I think the doctors need need to uh, have that kind of training too. Of course. Now I'm you know I'm thinking now. Do you have any you know thoughts or recommendations? About you know in, 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 uh, fast, fast food, food places, I that was yeah yeah I that's not one I was good. thinking about. Um, like, would you like to expand on that, Greg? Yeah, yes, Susan. I mean, you know, like uh, for a person who 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 stutters, you know, just you know, just you know. You know, just to go through okay. a drive-through, or else you know, you know, just you know, just you know, just to stand stand in line within McDonald's to order coffee cause a okay. lot of anxiety, right. and a lot of stress for, for people who stutter. But I'm thinking for you know, for yeah. the deaf community, should you know, should you know, should fast fast food places, you know, like that, start you know, start. Start thinking about some, you know, some, you know, some accommodation to meet their needs. Yeah, well, some of them now. Have, just, just thought, yeah, well, you know, some just, of them now have the uh, the screen inside, and you can order it from from there. Yeah. and they could have that outside as well, that you wouldn't have to ask. Yeah. Um, and I think you can order. Yeah. Probably ha have an app on your phone to order it. So I suppose that's that's kind of helping, but uh, it's uh, yeah I don't know I, I don't know what 
Oh yeah, I mean, uh, you know, uh, yeah, yeah, you know, oh well, yeah, okay, because you know, like, like I'm thinking that, I mean, you know, you know, there, you know, there are apps, but when you know, when you know, when when you want to do a change, or if you want something different in your coffee, for example, so I mean, that 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 creates a lot of other issues as well. Yeah, a lot of stress as well. Okay. So, 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 you know, Susan, when, you know, if, you know, like if, if I meet a person who is deaf, you know, like what would, what would, you know, would you, you know, you know, you, you know, you recommend to, I mean, the general public do when we meet people who, who are deaf. Okay. So what, what should I, what, what would I suggest? Like, no, if, yeah, you know, if, you know, like a, if if I you know if if I in in encounter a deaf person, how how would I communicate with them? You know you know not having any information about uh, you know deaf sign language. So what do you, you know? What would you suggest that that, that I do or the yeah. general public? Well, I mean, I guess be friendly um, now. Uh, usually if you're meeting either um, use using uh, notepads that's always been one of the things I mean it's not it's not perfect but it's at least it's um, you know uh, maybe you're at a wedding or a funeral or something like that you can certainly ask how do you know that person but you have more or less have to do it by note you can you can again you're limited because you can you can ask a question and um they probably will understand what you're saying if you ask a question but you won't be probably involving yourself um in a long conversation probably unless you find that the person is quite uh, skilled at it you know but uh, but that's what i would say is just you know be friendly um <clears throat> probably uh, ask simple questions and then uh, that's about probably all you can do in that situation um yeah i don't know i mean i i'm sorry <laughs> i can't answer the question very well um like uh like in turn you know in terms of the provincial and federal responsibilities to provide supports and services what do you do you think would you you know would you know would you know would be one of the key areas that you know that you know that our province should you know should should focus on for support well i i think in most of these things probably fall under the provincial um, government. Would you? I'm asking you if you agree with me because you've been. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh yeah. definitely, definitely. Um, you know, and uh, I, I think that what they need to do is to work with the Association for the Deaf and uh, perhaps make themselves well more aware of the issues involved. Now, there's also the. Um, <clears throat> Um, what is it? The Council of Disabilities is is also involved, um, but I I don't know how much they have had 
to say about deafness, really. Um, <clears throat> so I, you know, I think I think basically working with uh, the Newfoundland Association for the Deaf and uh, de developing, I would say, a long-term plan that would um, build awareness, ensure that um, the people who are uh, dealing with deaf people on an ongoing basis, um, you know, like <clears throat> police, firemen, doctors, doctors in particular, because that's for everybody, really. Um, and I think that they should be making more of an effort to... Uh, provide supports for the deaf people themselves and also build the awareness, um, more of a, an aggressive awareness campaign about deafness and, and uh, the sorts of things that people um, can do to make them feel more comfortable. Like, for example, if, if they're, I mean, I do know that the, um, that they're not getting the, the um, level of medical care that they need. And I know that that's true of the mental health issue as well. So that's an area where they could, um, you know, be talking to the organizations and trying to work with the NLAD and the medical associations to ensure that uh, uh, some meaningful and good, um, uh, you know, services are provided. So, mm -hmm. so that's... So, uh, Susan, uh, sorry. So now, do you hmm. ha have any, any, any yeah. closing? Um, not really. I think I've covered most, but I think the awareness is important. And I think that, um, you know, perhaps there's been um, dropping of the ball in a sense, partly because people are very, um, in today's world, we, we uh, deaf people and all people with um, what are defined as disabilities um, seem to to not want help in the, in the way that people used to you know give help um, so I think that that we no longer really know when we're um, when when we need to step in or to help those persons I, I remember Bob telling me, <clears throat> of an incident in Ontario where a deaf person um, came to the till with his um, with a winning lottery ticket. I don't know how much he was winning, but um, the till person checked it and said, no, it's not a winner. And fortunately, some of the um, other customers stepped in and said, yes, it is, because there, there were... Uh, the uh, cash cash register oh. uh, had dinged a few times or whatever. So there was an example where some people stepped in and said, "No, you're not. You're 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 going to keep that for yourself, basically." So I mean, those stories get around when they when oh. things like that happen. So I don't think it's a usual occurrence, but it did happen. Mm -hmm. um, you know. <clears throat> so I think uh, you know, trying to build awareness that uh, of being uh, what friendly, um, helpful, but not overbearing, you know, and trying to somehow identify that. I would even, I don't know how long it would even take to develop that type of an awareness campaign, but I think, I think it's needed for sure. And I think it's, it's one of the groups that has not been given a lot of attention in terms of uh, uh, what they're, what they need today. 
And and again, the technology stuff is really should be mm-hmm. front and center here with deaf people. I mean, you know, it's not a, that's not magic. You know, people are using the technology, our technology these days for so many things that, um, <clears throat> uh, you know, we should be using it more creatively to overcome uh, some of the problems of deafness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, uh, Susan, thank you very much for your time this morning. And uh, you know, you you know, I mean, just uh, just being a, a, a guest on some sort of law, you 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 have helped to create awareness about yeah. the uh, deaf community. As as well as to you know advocate for you know support and services for this community, and 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 so I mean this you know this you know this this you know this you know this is a big step for creating awareness. So thank you know. Okay. Thank you, Thank you Greg. Uh, and I, I guess I do have one more little uh, thing and just to say how important communications are to all of us. Like, you know, we're all primates and we love to be in a group <laughs> and uh, isolation, isolation isn't <laughs> a great thing for many people. So, you know, anything that aids with communication Definitely. is really a good thing. Yeah, and I mean, and this, you know, this is the primary, you know, focus of. Thank you. Some study law is 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 you know is is to bring awareness about communication, the disorders, you know. So so uh, Susan, thanks again, and we you know. We will have have <laughs> you back you. in short. Thanks very much. Okay. Bye-bye. Okay, you're you're welcome. Some Stutter Love is hosted by Greg O'Grady. It is produced, recorded, and edited by Paul De Decker, as well as Luca Dinu, who, by the way, wrote this jazzy theme music. Leah Bugden and Alicia Megason command our pages on Instagram and TikTok. Editing assistance was provided by the Labrador Languages Preservation Laboratory, or Labradori, at the Memorial University of Newfoundland. You can listen to or subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Anchor, and Spotify. Video versions of each episode are found on our YouTube page. Some stutter luck is a production of the Communication Collaborative. Thanks for listening.